Passionate, driven, enthusiastic, euphoric. This is who we are as entrepreneurs. But how we leverage these incredible attributes to dream and build businesses that scale and grow is what this podcast is all about. Hello, I'm attorneypreneur Josh Brown, and welcome to Franchise Euphoria. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Euphoria, the podcast where we are focused on providing strategy, education, and consulting to the incredible and growing franchise community. Welcome, everyone. Josh Brown here. Hope everyone is doing fan-freaking-tastic. How is it possible that your website or your URL could actually cost you thousands? Well, let me tell you about that. So a lot of times when a new client comes to me, let's say they're starting a business as an example, you know, they are looking at getting a website. I mean, that's really one of the first things that people consider. So what do they do? They go to GoDaddy, they go to HostGator, they go to wherever, Bluehost, they go to whoever you want to go to, um, to, to, uh, register your URL and they search for the name, you know, let's say it's, you know, for, you know, JB's, uh, ping pong shop, right? So they go and they register pingpongshop.com and GoDaddy says, yep, that's available. You can register it for a whole year for $12.95 or whatever it is. And then they check with the secretary of state in their particular state and they say, oh, JB's ping pong shop is available as, as a, uh, as a business name. Well, then I say, well, have you guys, have you guys looked at trademarking that name? If that's going to be the name, have you done any kind of research into the intellectual property ownership rights of that name? Well, no, I know it's available because, you know, we have our URL and it's available with the state. I said, that is, those are two very different things. So here's the entire point of this episode. And that is your URL registration and your state registration are totally separate from whether or not you actually have the right to use that name. Let me say that again. Just because you have a website where you're able to use your name and GoDaddy had that available in their registry. And just because the state that you live in, the name of your business is available. That does not mean that you have the right to use it. It does not mean that you have a trademark on it. Trademarking is separate from that. And in order to find out whether or not you have the ability to trademark, you need to search and then ultimately file an application with the United States Trademark and Patent Office, government agency. And typically what I talk to a lot of small businesses about, obviously it depends, uh, you know, what your small business is, but if you're, if you're talking about, you know, JB's ping pong shop and we're just going to open our doors, we have no history, we have no brand, we just have a dream at this point. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me to spend a whole lot of money on trademarking something that at this point has very little value, but it does make sense to possibly look at doing what's called a knockout search, which is basically a very quick search um, within the United States um, 
uh, patent and trademark office um, and, you know, hire a professional to do this. Trust me, they can do a much better search than you can because these searches are all dependent dependent upon the categories that you're searching through and how you're going to classify your business. But you can do a knockout search for very inexpensive um, and it's well worthwhile. What that will that search will tell you is that'll bring up other names that are either similar or the same and will give the professional that you're going through, the attorney that you're going through, um, an idea of whether or not this is a name that you have a good shot of actually being able to trademark. And it's never, there's, there's never a black and white answer um, in trademarking when you're researching the matter. But if you go to an experienced attorney, they can help you out and have a pretty good sense of what will go through and what won't go through. So I guess the entire point of this episode, and this is going to be a quick episode, is this is a very, very important point, is if you're out there starting a business or maybe your business is growing and now you're paying more attention to the intellectual property and the name, you certainly want to make sure that you have something registered with the United States Patent and Trademark Office in addition to having your URL and having your state name, your state business name registered within the state that you're located in. These are three separate things. So just because you have a URL doesn't mean you have the ability to trademark your business. You might get the URL and you might secure the name and then you very well may find out that you're unable to trademark it. Well, now you've wasted money on the name because you're probably going to have to change it. Um, and you've potentially wasted money on the URL unless you decide to just go ahead and keep your website with a slightly different name uh, from what your business actually is. But again, this these are really, really important decisions to make and to think about that a lot of people overlook. And yet it can ultimately cost you and your business thousands and thousands of dollars. I mean, I know several people who have started a business, never really paid attention to the trademarking aspects of it. And as they have climbed the ladder of success and become more and more successful, that's when other businesses that believe that you're infringing on their mark actually start to pay attention. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. They really don't care if you're nothing. I mean, if you don't have a viable business, they're not going to waste their time in most instances to come after you. But if you start growing a business and you're infringing upon their name, or at least in their eyes, you're infringing upon their name or their trademark, you're probably going to get a cease and desist letter in the mail and you're potentially going to look at spending thousands of dollars defending an action and also having to ultimately go back and change your name. So this is not to say, you know, this is not to obviously scare anybody. It's just a dose of reality that I find um, with talking with a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, they really don't think about that. They really just assume and, and, and it's something that a lot of people do that because they have a URL and because they have a their name registered with the state that they have the ability and the rights to that name and to trademark that name. And that's simply not the case. Well, I hope this was a good pointed episode 
for you. As always, please email me with questions, concerns, josh at franchiseeuphoria.com. And I just want to say that every case is a little bit different. So please, if you're even on the fence about this with your business or you think it might be an issue, please reach out to a representative in your area or somebody that you uh, trust and know and somebody who has experience in this because these are the kinds of decisions and issues that may not be big now, but they can certainly be big later. It is so vital to a business to protect their intellectual property. It is the cornerstone of franchising. I mean, you have to be able to to protect your name, your trademark, your brand. It's everything. And when you're growing a business and just starting out, while you may not have a brand at this point in time, you may not have a, a recognizable name. I mean, that's what you're ultimately looking to do. A $40,000 franchise lessons and the importance of due diligence. You cannot short change due diligence when you're looking for a franchise. I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm on the repeat mode uh, here because I talk about that a lot, but I just keep seeing people do that. I keep seeing people try to, it's not that they're intentionally taking shortcuts, but they're just not going through a systemized process to review a franchise system. And I think it's really, really important uh, to do so. So recently, uh, an individual reached out to me um, after purchasing a fairly well-known franchise. And for illustration purposes, I'll refer to the individual as Sally. That's obviously not the person's name, but for purposes of the story and this podcast, we'll refer to the person as Sally. And Sally had purchased a franchise about 85 days before contacting me. And when I met with her, she had one question. How do I get out? I said, how do you get out? You just got in. And she said, but I made a terrible mistake. And through a series of questions and answers, I soon learned that Sally actually did a fair amount of checking before she bought the franchise. She researched the franchise. She had a good understanding of the business model. She had the right experience necessary to become a a good franchise operator. And Sally is an accountant and knows numbers. She's also had years of experience um, with a corporation. And so all of these things are great attributes and experiences to have before transitioning to a franchise owner. And so she went through a lot of the process that I often speak about that would-be buyers need to go through and need to think about before they decide on a franchise. But as I pressed deeper, I soon realized that Sally made one very big mistake or overlooked something that was significant. And that was she did not speak to enough current or former franchisee owners within that particular system. This was the $40,000 lesson gone money not to be retrieved. Um, And so don't make this mistake. Learn from Sally and understand once and for all that there are no shortcuts to finding the right franchise. I mean, you must be dogged when you search. You must turn over every stone, question everything you don't understand. Speak to others who are currently part of the franchise system you're interested in and former owners as well. You must ask them the tough questions and push for truthful and complete answers. So here are 12 
questions that at a bare minimum, I think you should ask franchisees before you buy a system. And these are asking current franchisees. Number one is, why did you select this franchise over others? Number two, what is your background? Number three, does the franchisor provide quality training and support as promised? Number four, how many hours a week do you work? Number five, are you profitable? And if so, how long did it take for you to become profitable? Number six, how much of a capital reserve did you start with? Number seven, what unforeseen problems have you encountered? Number eight, has the franchisor been responsive to your concerns and receptive to your suggestions on how to better the brand and the system? Number nine, if you had the opportunity to do it all over again, would you buy this franchise? Number 10, what do you spend most of your day doing? Number 11, what are your average month-over-month sales? And number 12, what are your average month-over-month expenses and overhead? The answers to these questions should provide you with a good amount of information. This is a good beginning. It's not the end, but it's a good beginning. But also be thinking of follow-up questions that you can ask. If a question pops in your head while speaking to other franchisees, you must ask it. I mean, the worst that can happen is that they don't answer. Big whoop. I'm so adamant about doing all of this because, it, it, like I said earlier, it just breaks my heart to hear from people who regret the franchise that they bought. Not only is it a bad position to be in, but you're not going to get your money back. I mean, you may get a little back um, off of a franchise fee, depending on the franchise. But the reality is once you sign that agreement and pay that franchise fee, it's gone. So be the exception and do all your due diligence. This won't guarantee success, but it will help your chances of success. Buying a franchise is mostly like buying any other business and and you should approach it as such. But one of the big differences is that with a franchise, you're signing an agreement that will lock you in for 5, 10, 15, and possibly even 20 years. The average franchise agreement is 10 years long. There's not one main thing that you need to do to make a smart franchise purchase. There are many, but you can't shortcut the process. It's just too big of a gamble. Going back to um, Sally, when I when I asked Sally why she didn't speak to current and prior or previous franchisees before she signed the franchise agreement, she told me that she reached out via email to a couple of the franchisees but did not get an immediate response. And so instead, she relied on what the franchisor told her about the system. When she finally spoke to the franchisees she had previously reached out to, she had already signed the franchise agreement. It was then she learned of some big problems with the system. Sorry, too late. Don't be too late. Learn from Sally's story and do the work. And don't rush. I mean, any worthwhile franchise system will welcome your questions, your due diligence, and the time you take to make the purchase. If they don't, that is a red flag and you should move on to another system. I mean, I cannot reiterate that point enough. It seems a lot of people, when they look at a business, and this happens in with non-franchise businesses as well, but it's human nature to get excited about a deal. I mean, we're all get kind of excited about new opportunities and change and, 
and um, what's coming uh, down the pipe and looking forward to the future and the possibilities that they bring. But you've got to check yourself or you've got to have somebody in your life that can check you so you don't make these kinds of mistakes. I mean, it's one thing um, to make a mistake when you own a business that you know you should be a part of. But don't make the mistake the buying of the business. I mean, that is a big, big, big mistake in which you have potentially a chance to lose lose a lot of money. So I don't want this to be a downer episode. I mean, I think the what you can take from this um, from this episode is just the importance of following all the steps. I mean, as you learned from Sally, she tried to do a, a good job of of thoroughly um, dissecting the system and investigating the opportunity, but just got a little impatient. And it's just that much. That's all it takes. And you can find yourself in a bad opportunity. Hopefully this was helpful for you today. If you are in the market for a franchise, I would highly encourage you to check out my free ebook, which is what to know before you buy a franchise. You can head over to my website at Indy, that's I-N-D-Y, FranchiseLaw.com and download it there for free. And um, let me know what you think. If you're enjoying this podcast, if you're enjoying the value that you're getting from this podcast, I'd also invite you to go to iTunes and uh, provide me with a rating and review. It always helps uh, for visibility on the podcast. So thank you so much for your support and uh, hope this episode was helpful to you. Thanks for being with us today on the Franchise Euphoria podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to go to iTunes and provide a review. Also, please remember that although Josh Brown is a licensed and practicing attorney, nothing contained in this podcast should be construed as legal advice, because it is not. The information contained in this podcast is general and educational in nature, and none of it should be relied upon as legal advice. That being said, if you have questions for Josh and would like to contact him, please email him at josh at franchiseeuphoria.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you tune in to our next weekly episode.